Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 99. Today we'll be offering advice and ideas for cooperating teachers who will be welcoming a student teacher into their classroom in the near future. We'll also share highs and lows from our teaching week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, offer a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, and in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. Oh, and now it's time for our highs and lows segment. And, uh... One high collectively that we have is that thank you for buying us a coffee. Thanks to Lindsay S., Laura, and a few someones. Um, We are just so excited that a few people have chosen to click on Buy Me a Coffee on our um, home base page for Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast and have bought us a coffee. All of the money does go to keeping up our SoundCloud subscription, and um, we have bought a, a couple coffees. We have. Yes. Yeah, we'll and, probably buy some more today. Yes, and we appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you for buying us a coffee. Yeah. All right. As far as highs and lows from our teaching week, though, what do you got, Carrie? Um, I'm going to share another high. Um, Ooh, okay. I'm going to share another Los Machetes high specifically. I talked about Los Machetes, the dance, last time, and I have another one this time because, you know, I've, I've seen my third round of students, and so we Los Machetes um, in this class as well. So anyways, Los Machetes, it's a, it's a dance from Jalisco, Mexico, traditionally done with large knives, large machetes, but we do it with sticks, obviously, Please, in the music yes. room. So anyways, this week I was doing this dance with my third and fourth grade combined uh, dual language class, and they just loved it, and we were having so much fun, and I said, do you want to show your teacher this dance? And they're like, yes, absolutely. Yes. They were so excited. Um, so their teacher came and took a video of them doing the dance and posted Ooh. it on her class dojo page for the parents to see. And it was just so sweet to see all the comments from the parents. Um, one parent in particular wrote a comment that just made my week, which was like, I'm so happy that teachers take the time to teach students um, music from different cultures and um, all cultures and that our students are represented in class. And she was just so happy that I had done this dance. And then bonus. So this teacher, this third, fourth grade dual language teacher, her own daughter attends our preschool program at our school. And I don't see the preschoolers. They kind of have their own separate school within our school. Um, But she said, do you think tomorrow? So we showed her the dance on Thursday. And she said, do you think tomorrow? on Friday um, we can invite the preschoolers to come and watch because I know right about the end of our time is when they're going to lunch they get to go to lunch in the cafeteria so she said if they just come and watch the dance is that okay with you I'm like absolutely so we invited the preschoolers in for a little performance of Los Machetes which is exciting because obviously when they come to kindergarten then I'll get those students and just giving them the opportunity to come in my room and meet me and see the kind of stuff we do it was just lovely and I I didn't even do it. It was the classroom teacher that did it all. And it was just, it was a great little ending to my week. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Tanya? Okay. So I'm going to go low. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And um, it's a strange low. There have been some accidents happening, um, not caused by me, but just around me that have just kind of been unnerving. Yeah. Uh, so yesterday I was at my school that I travel to, not my home school, but my traveling school. Um, it matters not. So I had a first grade class and we were playing Old Mother Witch, which I play as a chase game. And I do have chase games in my curriculum. Um, I think they're fun. I think they are exciting. It's bringing play into the music room I make sure that we I mean of course things happen and definitely um over the years I have had a couple of people who have gotten hurt sure in chase games and it's almost unavoidable uh but you know we we set set it up I set it up in a way so that we are understanding of like how to chase how not to chase um and all that anyway so we were playing old brother witch with first graders Um, And I really made sure that we understood how to chase and that when you're not chasing, that you don't put your arms and legs out and all of this. 
So we played Old Mother Witch. That was going fine. And then we were headed back to our regular spots where we sit because we were going to do some rhythmic dictation with Ta and Titi, Mm -hmm. which we have just learned. And then a little boy came up to me and he had the biggest, very large, bloody um, uh, area at the top of his head. And it was purple and blue. Not purple. I'm sorry. Not blue. It was red. It was bleeding. It was dripping. Um, And he had seen a magnet like below the whiteboard and went to go pick up a little magnet and like bammed his head. Um, At at first I thought it was against the wall, but it must have been against the rail of the the whiteboard. Something sharp. Something sharp. Anyway, but it it was just one of those things where it was like I'm so careful and I'm so paranoid about, okay, this is our first chase game together this year. Let's make sure everything goes right, set up all the parameters to have – Someone who um, just uh, some right afterwards, after we were done, who got really hurt. And Aww. so he went to the clinic and the um, our custodial staff had to come in and disinfect because there was lots it's of blood, blood at, the, yeah. at the front of the room. Oh, gosh. But the biggest low was that this really affected the other students. They were really upset because yeah. they were like, oh, no, is he going to be okay? And they were, you know, some of them were on the verge of tears. And so Aww. I had to, like, turn them facing the other end of the room while the blood was being cleaned up. And, um, you know, I led them through, like, a really quick... Um, like just calming down, tiny, tiny little meditation thing. But anyway, it was just one of those, one of those things where, um, it's not a low because like, Oh, I should have known better. It's just a low because it was like, wow, my, my energies and my, we're we're misplaced here. I was worried about the chase game, but something happened right after the chase game. He's fine. He showed up at the end of class and he actually, it was very Interesting because he had like the littlest band aid, yeah. Uh huh. On the top of his head, it just depends on where it is. Like, the blood looks horrible and then it stops quickly, like, you know, situations. So, it was just one of those things where it was like best laid plans, but then you know, and uh, this particular student, he has a lot of energy, yeah. So, I wasn't surprised that he was like, Oh, I see this, I'm gonna pick it up and I'll put it on the board and I'm gonna help out, and yeah. um, so, Aww. I don't know. I, I kind of felt like, was it the energy of the chase game that he was still hyped up? And then, but I, I can can't only do so much. for that at all. Yeah. So anyway, it was just a little unnerving yeah. for everybody. Sure. And it was like a hectic into um, a Friday afternoon. And the, yeah, I was, I was going to teach a brand new game that we're going to be doing for our upcoming singing games night. And after that, I was like, it's just, it's not <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> the last 20 minutes, I just can't cram that in. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was just a little unnerving, um, and that's all. I, well, I'm, I want to finish our high and low segment with a little surprise high compliment oh, for you, Tanya. For me? Yeah. Oh, no. I wasn't going to tell you that I was going to do this. Uh-oh. So just this morning, I got a text message from someone who I used to work with, and you teach her son. <gasps> I think you know who this is, but obviously I'm not going to say their name right now. But here's what the text message said. To pass along to your friend that my son loves music class. He used to just be disappointed when it wasn't a PE week. (laughs) But now he looks forward to music and PE every time. I always know when it's a music week because he sings songs for a half hour when he's lying in bed at night. So I thought that would make your day. She literally texted me that when you were driving on the way over here. And I was like, I'll let her know when she gets here. So there you go. A little extra bonus high for you. Thank you. Yeah. So now it's time for our main theme, and today we are speaking to cooperating teachers or folks who plan on being a cooperating teacher, meaning someone who's going to welcome a student teacher into their classroom at some point, whether that's happening this year or in the future. Um, Tanya and I have both have had multiple student teachers from different universities, both of us at different points in our own career, so we just have some advice to share. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a lot of people, a lot of teachers see having a student teacher as a rite of passage. Yeah. Which I definitely understand. But something to keep in mind 
is that it is very different to have a student teacher than to teach. Yes. So it's a it's it's a different animal. Um, and if you are on the fence about it, maybe wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work and you have to know that, you know, obviously you're giving up a lot of control that goes with the territory. Yes. So if you are in a situation where you still feel like you are still establishing yourself, whether it's because you're still new to a school or new to, like if you just took your Kodai levels and you're still trying to implement that, you know, maybe wait a few years till you're feeling like you're on solid ground before you bring someone in that's going to shake up the ground because that's what it is yeah and if you have a change in your schedule like I will say um right now being at two schools being a traveling teacher I would not take on a student teacher right now yeah um because the traveling piece is something that I feel like I'm still adapting to um but also because of the pandemic so I think like being a traveling teacher with the pandemic going on, like it's just too many differences for me to take on a student teacher. Right. So, of course, I haven't been asked in a little bit. Um, and so. with the pandemic, too, that's changed a lot, too, with what's going on. But this is kind of assuming that we're going back to a quote-unquote normal, you know, student teaching situation. Right. Um, and my rule of thumb for myself, too, was, like, I'm not going to take on a student teacher every year. Like, I had a student teacher, and then the very next year someone asked me if they could student teach, and I was like, nope, because, like, I need a year off of it, too. Right. So, yeah, don't feel that pressure if you are a more seasoned teacher, as we talked about in our last episode. Right. Don't feel that pressure to have a student teacher every year because right. you might need a break for a couple of years between. exactly and yeah. you know it's it's also fine to make rules for yourself yeah um like I have a rule there's a certain college university that I am not taking student teachers from anymore right I am not taking uh people observing from anymore just based on past experiences mm-hmm. with these uh with the students coming out from this place yeah. And it is not Colorado State University. We teach <laughs> there in the summer. And we student love, teachers we get excited about. We love Dr. Jacoby's student teachers because yes. they are extremely prepared. Extremely prepared. Well, so. yeah, that's a great piece of advice right there. We didn't even put this in our notes, but I'll add it is, you know, do some homework on the universities in from whence you're getting these student teachers from. Like make sure that these students are coming with a basic level of preparation. And we know, because we've been there, that you can't teach everything in elementary methods in college. We know that there's huge gaps. We know that these students aren't going to come in like, you know, Kodai certified. That's just impossible. No, it's more of a work ethic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's mm -hmm. things. So, you know, develop relationships with the people at universities and just know kind of who your people are when it comes to that. Exactly. These students I know are going to come to me with a different level, like you said, work ethic in preparation than maybe another university. Exactly. All right. So shall we jump in for, let's say you are doing it, you're taking on a student teacher, um, and you've talked to them ahead of time. It's always nice to have some kind of Sorry, there's a banging noise, and I think it's my children, so hopefully it won't continue, or I'll pause and go tell them to knock it off. Um, Um, So it's... Let's start with the preparation phase. Okay. Hey, it's like a PPP. It's it like is. a present, prepare, present, practice. Yes. So let's start with a space. Now, I mean, obviously it depends on your situation in your room, but having a workspace, a small desk, somewhere where your student teacher can call home, it's and, important. Yes, that is important. And even for me, sometimes it's just a student desk, and that's at least better than nothing. I've always but, had to use a student desk. Yeah. That's what we could do. Yeah. yeah. But give, if you don't already have a student desk in your room you can use for that, go find one and give them a space where they can keep their stuff and make sure you have a place for them to lock up their their coats and their personal belongings. That's just an important little tidbit of information. Yep. Um, And it's a good idea to have the teacher come in, even if it's only one or two times before they really start, Mm -hmm. so that the kids can get used to their presence. Yeah. And you can kind of introduce them all to each other. Because I know every time I have someone in my room uh, observing or whatever the kids are like who's that yeah 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 I've, I've got is that your husband I'm like okay this this guy is you know 25 years younger than me but thanks kids <laughs> <laughs> or is he your son that one is common too yeah um anyways but yeah just let your students know we're gonna have this you know new new teacher coming into our building explain what student teaching is you know and make sure you know what name the teacher wants to go by whether it's 
you know, Mr. Smith or Mr. S or whatever you want it to be, you know, whatever they want it to be, right. um, what their preferred name is for your students. Yes. Um, next piece of advice is, you know, hopefully by now we are all there, but make sure you have those routines and procedures established. So these are like your classroom management plans and your behavior plans and your social emotional learning things that you've implemented. Basically, you want to make sure that's solid and make sure you communicate that this is not something your student teacher can just come in and change. They're only there for six or seven weeks, which goes by so fast. This is not a time for a student teacher to come in and be like, well, I want to try this classroom management plan. That's something that I'm like an absolute stickler for. Like, nope, you will use mine. (laughs) If you like it, great. If you don't, when you're in your own classroom, you can try your own. But this is not. Well, hopefully you've weeded those people out before. You've even (laughs) said you're going to accept them as a a student teacher. Because I, at this point... I um I insist on not interviewing. I don't call it that, but I insist on having a conversation yeah. with someone, preferably in person, but at least via Zoom, um, before I agree to take them on as a student teacher. Because yeah. um, like Carrie and I have said before, I am Kodai inspired. So mm-hmm. if I am talking to someone who is really excited to do mostly an ORF process, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not the best person for them. Right. Yeah. Let's find you a better match. Yeah. Totally. All right. Now let's get into the the real good stuff. So talking about preparing, speaking of being Kodai inspired, and we're really, we should also say this, we're coming at this from a total elementary lens. If you're a secondary teacher who has student teachers coming in for a more of an ensemble type classroom situation, keep listening but we're not your people let's be honest like we're really talking about elementary yeah music. i can't speak to that because i yeah. haven't i haven't had a student teacher in that situation and i've not been in that situation yeah. myself so and yeah. that's a whole different world of like maybe doing sectionals and small groups i will say okay along those lines yeah um there's something that student teachers have had to do in the past i think it's still a thing called the teacher work sample yeah they call it different things depending on your state and where mm-hmm. you are Now, so this is something that's been kind of um, an annoyance of mine is that (laughs) when I've had student teachers in the past who have been teaching part of their student teaching time secondary and part elementary, Mm -hmm. it seems like the secondary teacher always pushes, do that teacher work sample with the elementary. Oh, really? Uh Uh-huh. And I kind of push back on that and say, you know... That doesn't make a lot of sense considering how often you see secondary students right. compared to how often you see elementary that students. That is so true. So if you want a data set that's going to really show you a consistent growth within that short amount of time, mm-hmm. it makes more sense to do it at the secondary level. Now, here's the problem is that then they go and tell the secondary person that, and the secondary person's like, eh, Okay, fine. I know. Or nobody wants to deal nobody with wants really... to deal with the t- the teacher work sample, which is yeah. what like very similar to uh, at in our district what we call an IEG, an individual educator growth plan. Yeah, where you or show I've heard people call them SLOs. Yes, where you show some student for. growth over a period of time. Yeah, but. It depends on your schedule and how often you see students. Well, this is true. Right. So if I have someone who is like their secondary placement is orchestra high school, they see those kids every single day. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not there, so I really don't know exactly how it could work. But I I think, you know, why couldn't we take 10 or 15 minutes? Why couldn't the student teacher take 10 or 15 minutes out of each rehearsal when they see these kids every day and work towards – obtaining a skill or some Mm -hmm. knowledge and then their data set is going to really show a better picture of what they have taught totally because it's a short amount of time if you have them for let's say seven weeks whereas you have my students for seven weeks you're only going to see that group like for two weeks yeah Yeah. like 10 times yeah and that that seems like a lot of pressure to show growth overseeing a group of student ten, groups of a group of students 10 times so true um so anyway yeah that's a um, good point but so it's that's something to keep in mind yeah um if you can make that request right to have that happen to have that happen there. because i i've also had it happen where i accept a student teacher i haven't thought about the teacher work example we get into the first week and the teacher the student teacher says oh 
but by, by the way, the way I yeah. have to do this thing. Uh-huh. And yeah. then it's just kind of like, oh, no, no, we've got to make this happen on yeah. top of everything. It shouldn't be an afterthought. Right. Um, it's part of their graduating. Right. So. Yeah. Again, depending on your state, just make sure you know what those requirements are. And then, yeah, I like that. Help guide your student teacher to find a more logical place to do that if right. elementary music isn't going to be that place. All right. So we're going right. to address the organization of your materials. Yeah. Passing them on to a student teacher. And Carrie and I were talking a little bit off mic, but then we decided let's stop that and just talk on mic. Um, because we <laughs> we don't agree on all the things as well, far as... It's just there's different approaches. It's just different approaches. Right. And it depends on a lot of things. Yeah. Right? So this, we're going to start talking about how you're really going to prepare yourself and your student teacher for um, diving into the curriculum mm -hmm. and what you're going to do. And, you know, again, trial and error. Like there's times where I've given student teachers way too much freedom here and there's times where I probably didn't give enough so you know part of this is also just finding what works well with you and that individual student teacher because every student teacher is going to be different um, something that I absolutely love is Google Drive and having a Google Drive folder because that's like the ultimate way to collaborate right so having a Google Drive folder prepared with some things before they come in now Tanya your point is Maybe you might want to, I'll just let you say it. Oh, no, I was, see, I've done it both ways and okay. I've experienced good and bad, you know, results from it. Um, so, yeah, I agree with having a Google Drive folder where you share information with your student teacher. I used to do it on Dropbox. Sure. But yeah. now I have it on Google Drive. But I don't know if the next time I have a student teacher, I don't think I'm going to give them everything at once. Right. I think I'm going to give them um, what they need, when they need it, uh, because I have had it backfire where student teachers have just been completely overwhelmed. So first of all, they're overwhelmed just being in charge of the classroom mm -hmm. and going with those lessons for that day on you know this piece of paper. And then when I share them with them, here's a concept plan, here's some song lists, here's my overall scope and sequence. Like it can be overwhelming oh, totally. to the point where they just don't know where to focus and where to start. So, and that depends on the student teacher, right? So I could see, um, and, I, and I've done it this way too, where I've said, hey, um, this is all the stuff I'm going to give you eventually. Yeah. How much of it do you want to see right now? Right. Because I could tell you what's going to happen for the next week. I could tell you what's going to happen for the next month. Or do you want to see what's going to happen for the entire year? Sure. Um, so, you know, you can touch base with your student teacher and see how they feel about it. And if you get like a kind of wild eye, mouth agape look, pull back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and maybe not share all the things. Yeah. And then that, that also brings up, do you need to give your student teacher everything? And you don't. Because right. a lot of it is not going to be... Um, used and appreciated right then That's and it's going to be just extra stuff yeah so for for sure um, it's good to equip them with the daily schedule mm -hmm. right the weekly schedule depending on how things change which class class lists pictures of kids oh yeah on their definitely. class lists if you can and you really should because they need to get those names going as soon yep. as they can yeah um, and then the plans for you know, one rotation mm -hmm. at least of every single grade. Yeah. 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 And so eventually when they have their, their full folder with everything, you know, whether you give it to them right away or, or eventually some other things you might give them is like you said, kind of your overall scope and sequence or curriculum, you mm -hmm. know, again, just as a guide for them, if they do end up teaching elementary music, it would be helpful to, for them to see the full thing, even if it's not what you do during the seven weeks they're with you. Um, again, yearly plans for each grade where you're showing kind of at what point you're introducing each, you know, if you're looking at a Kodai-inspired sequence, when are you each introducing each rhythmic and melodic concept and all the other things that you do. Um, and then concept plans. And again, this is where you can go crazy or you can just give them what they need. Mm -hmm. You know, definitely don't give them every concept plan for every concept because mm -hmm. that's more than they need and that's what they'll do their own Kodai levels for eventually, one would hope, Hopefully. if they're going to yeah. teach elementary music or any music for that matter. But the point being, like, if you know that your student teacher will be with you during first grade when you're going to be 
practicing so in me and preparing rest, then they just need those two for right now. Mm-hmm. And then later in life, if they email you and say, hey, would you be willing to share some other concept plans, then take it as it is. Um, the thing about concept plans, though, and we can talk more about specific lesson planning later, is I always took my concept plans and, you know, intentionally deleted a lot of boxes because mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure they were also coming up with ideas of how to practice this concept, how to present this concept. And again, you know, there's no Kodai training involved in this. It's just a matter of getting them to think about the difference between what a prep activity looks like or a practice activity looks like. Mm -hmm. And they have some ideas in your concept plan, but then they're hopefully coming up with some stuff on their own. Right? Right. Or they're taking things that maybe they got at their university. Exactly. um, And they're trying them out. Yeah. And I often say, well, were there things that you did that you were really curious to see how it would look with with actual students you right. know, of an elementary age um, and how would they fit in the lesson? Yeah. Do you want to try that out? Because that gives them ownership right away of like the ideas that they are using and forming and seeing how they work in like a real classroom laboratory is yeah. how I kind of view it. Totally. I had a student teacher who actually ended up giving getting her first ORF level before she student taught with me. She still knew that she was going to be coming at it from a Kodai-inspired lens, but she really wanted to get her ORF level one. So then when she was student teaching with me, she said, well, could I include some of my ORF stuff, especially into like the practice stage of some of your... I'm like, absolutely, yeah. please do, because I want to see this in action, you know? Uh-huh. And it was a great learning experience for her and for me. So exactly. definitely loosen the reins when it comes to that stuff. Right. Um, other things to provide you know song lists as long or short as you want them to be but obviously you know you likely have a whole library of songs that you've collected whether you've had Kodai levels or just song collections that you've bought through the years so make sure they have access to those Yep. Um, something that I always like to put in the Google Drive is a folder where I can drop pictures and videos. So when I just see something really great, I just get out my phone, take a picture or a video, drop it in there. And they, they really appreciate that, the student teachers having those later for their portfolio, that yep. they have those photos and videos in there. That's a great idea. Yeah. And then um, a running Google Doc. So this is just something that I just have one Google Doc, and every day I would just add little, like, couple of highs, maybe something to think about, you know, and just kind of those informal observation notes. You'll likely be required to do formal observations, I think usually two or three, depending on the amount of time they're in your classroom where you actually have to give them more formal notes that get turned into the university. But this is just something where every day I would just write down a few things and then just put it on a Google Doc so they can read it that evening on their own. (laughs) Um, We don't have to sit and have a long talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just a great way to provide feedback um, without us having to sit and have a conversation because you might not have time to do that every day. Yeah, I, I really, I value having that conversation. And here's why, because something I have noticed about um, student teachers, uh, and I think this is just because of um, just where they're coming from, is that after a lesson, it's very interesting to see what they think could go better or went really well as opposed to what I think could go better. And so they are looking at it through a different lens. Yes. Right? And I'm not saying that one's right or wrong, but it's really illuminating to have a conversation about, you know, so I've had student teachers where they're like, well, this one thing, I was very frustrated that this was happening and I feel like this was the the uh the the lowest point in the lesson where things weren't going well yeah and i'll say you know what that didn't seem to be a big deal right however this other thing where you sang the wrong melody for this song that's something that you really should look at yeah um and they will most likely most of the time didn't even notice right right that oh I, I taught this whole song with a completely different tone set <laughs> yeah and then this other thing that they thought was like oh things were going I was like actually sure. that cleared up pretty easily by itself yeah um so I think it is important to like have a conversation one-on-one where you you kind of parse that out yeah to make sure that they are um it's it's hard when you are experiencing something for the first time to also evaluate that thing in the moment because mm-hmm. your head is just, you know, and it should be focused on what you're doing from moment to moment 
and then to go back and look at it and go, oh, okay, yeah, that was a that was a thing that I didn't even notice. Right. Yeah, yeah I've definitely done it both ways. I'm definitely saying do both, in, in my opinion. And also, sometimes on the Google Doc, I'll ask them the question instead of me telling them, how do you think this lesson went? And then right, they'll right. type back the answer. And that's great, yeah. too. I only say, because I know sometimes when you're student teaching, you also have a night job, and sometimes you got to run home oh, after I school. Know. And that, I, you yeah, know, sometimes well, you, you just don't have time to have those to conversations. supposed to not do that, but it's really hard. It's hard. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and as far as constructive criticism goes, I feel like I'm coming off a little bit negative. I don't mean to, but uh, something that oh, Susan Brumfield talks about this as an Oreo. Yes. I remember having this conversation with Susan Brumfield. She's like, okay, it's like an Oreo, um, which <laughs> you you give constructive feedback by saying something that is very specific that is great. I noticed this thing. Yeah. And then you get to like the the – the center. Yes. And you go, now you might want to think about this, 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 mm-hmm. but then ending with something oh, positive. And again. by the way, this other thing yeah. was really great too. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. So Oreo feedback. Is the Oreo feedback. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> um, so that kind of bridges us towards how and when do you have them teach on their own? Yeah. Are you in the room? When does that happen? And the answer is it depends. <laughs> right. Totally. Yes. So, Carrie, you wrote up this awesome schedule. And oh, I'm it's let very you... specific. But it is great. I mean, basically, in, in a seven-week period, this is kind of how I have broken it down in the past. Week one, they're basically just observing at least the first half of the week. And maybe by the end of the week, they might start teaching a portion of one lesson of one grade. So I call that like the shadowing. So, for example, if it was – oh, and I always start by asking them – what grade level do you want to start with? I will say most of the time it seems like student teachers want to start with the oldest grade because they feel more comfortable with the older kids yeah, and they that's get so nervous funny. about kinder. Do you notice that too? <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is so funny because for me it's the opposite. It's like, oh, the older kids just give me a hard time. But whatever, let them choose. Exactly. So if the example is I want to start with fifth grade, then maybe even by the end of first week one I'm saying, okay, you just saw me teach this lesson to this group of fifth graders. I want you to plan on Friday taking this portion of this lesson and you teach it, but still from my plans. Uh So this idea of shadowing. And then maybe by the next week, they're starting to write their own lessons for fifth grade. You give them feedback before they teach it, and then they start shadowing fourth grade, and then you just keep layering on by then. Mm -hmm. It happens fast, and I find that... My whole goal with student teachers, and some people don't agree with this, is that I truly want them to have at least a few days, if not a full week, where they are planning and teaching everything. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important in elementary music because we plan and teach so many classes Mm -hmm. that I never want someone to finish their student teaching feeling like I just didn't really even understand how it felt because then I go and I get my first job as an elementary teacher and wow, I had no idea because I was relying too much on my cooperating teacher. Now, you again, take it with a grain of salt because if you have a student teacher who's just really overwhelmed and they're not able to keep up with the pace, obviously don't keep shoving it at them and being like sink or swim kid you know that's not the point but that's kind of how I go into it with that expectation and Mm -hmm. then if I need to lighten the load as we go um, then I will but basically if you keep adding a grade where they're shadowing and then adding a grade where they're taking over and you kind of layer it like that by week seven they're doing the whole thing right and I remember seeing like a, a plan for student teachers for like a classroom teaching situation where they would be with you for for a full semester and it was like a pyramid where it's like by the middle of the semester they're doing it all and then, and then you start out. phasing them yeah. out and I'm like how lovely that is we a lovely thing that. we can't do that no <laughs> so just be aware you know again we know that we only get them for half the semester and it goes so fast and you have to base it on the comfort level of the students exactly but again that's just one model and there's different examples so mm-hmm. Tanya you had some thoughts of another idea uh well I mean like we keep saying, it really depends on the student teacher and how they're feeling and also, you know, how it's going with the classes yeah, um, and the relationship between the student teacher and the students. So um, I was talking about back uh, how I used to have my schedule where it was a, I guess, ABC rotation right. where I'd have a group of students on Monday, a completely different group of students on Tuesday, same lesson that I taught Monday, 
new group of students and then on the third day a completely different group of students same lesson and that really worked so well with the student teacher yes. because they would observe on the first day and at the end of the first day um, I would say okay what here are the plans of what you saw all day long what activities from which classes do you want to lead mm-hmm. so we would do kind of like a co-teaching thing yeah on day two and then day three depending on their level of comfortability um they would take over the whole day yeah and so i would do that three day rotation with that model of you watch day one you teach part of day two you teach all of day three mm-hmm. um and i would do that for uh, a cup of two or three rotations and then i would start handing over more responsibility like for the next two rotations where here's my plans or we would plan together right um and they would be teaching much of it and then on the third rotation it would be i'll uh, make sure your lessons have exactly what the focus needs to be or the learning targets or whatever that is and then you fill in and you're teaching for like the last couple of rotations right that kind of model yeah totally but it's different now because I don't see kids like that I know and I was thinking this too like the last time I had a student teacher I had that ABC Mm -hmm. day one two three now I have week-long rotations where I see the same kids you know for a full week so that's five lessons in a row and then you do those same five lessons for the next week and then so that would be more challenging with a student teacher definitely be more challenging and I haven't even thought my way through no I haven't either and I don't I'm not comfortable. Well, it's mostly because I can I can show you better than I can write it when it comes to yeah. like something in my lesson plans. I'm at a I'm at the point where um for my lesson segments within a lesson plan, I'll write like the name of the song or the activity or whatever it is and then maybe just like a few phrases to remind myself and I kind of just go on like I've done this before. Right. I know that I always guide them xyz this way and i don't write out scripted lessons any longer yeah because well you know it took 20 some years but at this point um i can teach best like that sure right but in order to like have a student teacher really be successful at something it would take a lot more me writing in depth i'd rather them just see it in action So I'm not sure how or that would Or you could go. have them watch your lessons and then they have to script out what you did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's just a, another way to do it because then it's making them think about, oh, and then how did you transition from this activity right. to this activity? Well, and then I was just thinking maybe it would be beneficial. I think that if I were to have a student teacher, say, next um, semester, I would probably do a lot of videotaping or videotaping. You know what I mean? I would film. And so that they could like re rewatch, re-watch it, stuff. And kind of study stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea and too. Yeah. So so they could be able to say, oh look, here's something. Or I I would have no problem like filming like a class and then looking over it with the student teacher and going, ooh, you see how I tried to trans- transition us from that chasing game <laughs> over to this writing activity and huh? this kid bashed his bashed head. The here's up how I could have avoided here's that. Here's real life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but not that you want to take so much time reviewing all this. But, um, yeah, I think that, like, filming things can definitely be your friend. Yeah, totally. Another model to consider, and I've, I mean, I've heard this suggested, is, you know, really to do a lot of co-teaching basically the whole way through, co-planning and co-teaching the whole way through. Mm-hmm. For me, I would be overwhelmed by the amount of time it would take to collaborate on that. If you only have so much time for a planning period during the day to talk through and plan everything, I think would get tedious. But if you have a way it's to make that of, work... Yeah. That would be cool. It's just another way to think about it. Yeah. And co-teaching is a really good thing because you can work off of each other. But the thing that we want to keep in mind and that I always make sure the student teacher knows is that it's not reality. Yeah. After your student teaching, you're probably never going to be in a situation where you are going to be co-teaching. This is true. It would be lovely, but it's not. It would not. be lovely. But <laughs> at the rate that um, our, that most districts are going with their budget, yeah, I 
I don't think it's reality. I don't think it's reality. Yeah. But I definitely think that's more of a model um, to consider, obviously, at the secondary level, right. where you can co-teach and co-plan your rehearsals for your ensembles. And, you know, I'm oh, going to work sure. with this group, and I'm going to pull this group for a oh, sectional. Oh, that's an and, awesome thing yeah, when you can do that. I think yeah. that's, you know, and I've done that to a, to a point with, with student teachers, too, where it's like if I'm doing a stations day, we decide who's going to be anchored at this station versus who's going to be the one, you know, mingling and making sure all the students are doing yeah, what they're and, doing. Oh, I've, I've taken advantage of that, like, especially like a center station today uh-huh. so that I can assess yeah. things and then you can roam around the room and, you know, make sure that this thing is working sure. and that kids are not arguing over who gets to do this rhythm or, yeah. or whatever. But it's great also for like, you know, when I think about back in the day, recorder testing, I mean, of course, technology has helped with a lot of this for students who are submitting videos. But, you know, back in the day, it used to be students would come and they would play a song for me while other kids were practicing. And how great is it to have that second person in the room where they could be either working with the students or assessing and all that stuff. Exactly. But all this to say, and I don't think we have to say it, but maybe we'll just say it anyways, your student teacher is not there to go copy your worksheets for oh, you. Oh, gosh, no. Your student teacher is not there to take attendance for you while you teach and they just sit there and do clerical work. Let's make no, sure no. that the work we're giving them is 100% meaningful. Oh, I would yeah. hope by now you would know this, but it's just worth saying. Right. And it. then here, let's talk about when you are out of the room because yeah. – um, I have some very strong thoughts about okay. being out of the room. That you should be out of the room? That you, uh, uh, that there should be a point where you are out of the room. And Now, I've always been told that, like, legally we can't be out of the room for very long. Like, really? maybe five to ten minutes that we're not supposed to be out of the room. Really? Yeah. Oh. Because if you're certified and they're not, it's like, it's like having a para who can do a lunch duty for so long, but a parent can't take a full 45-minute class period. But I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that depends on your state and your district and whether your principal's a stickler for this. Um, I mean, my general rule of thumb has been to stay in the room a lot, but leave a little bit and come back in. But I would say I was never out for a full class period. But you have been out for a full class period? Well, I've been there at the very beginning, and then I sneak out, and then I'll come back at the very end. Okay. Right? And I try to make it... Uh, I try I try to give the the students the little students the feeling that I'm still there, but I do try to kind of sneak out. Yeah. And here's why I think it's really important for student teachers to not feel like they're being watched over. Totally. So yeah. that they have some. I think it alleviates some stress and some tension. Right, mm-hmm. because even if you've got the a wonderful relationship, when somebody is in the room, there's this little bit of stress, like "Ooh, I'm being, I'm being watched." And, and yeah, I think it's really good for them to find their own, um, their own way of of doing things where maybe they're not worried about what you are gonna say about it. Yeah, right, hundred percent. So. Well, and you also have, especially in the beginning, I remember students would still, while my student teacher was teaching and they were doing a singing game, right, that's the kid the other would come thing. over to me to ask me if they could go to the bathroom exactly. and all that kind of stuff. It's like, I'm not your teacher right now. And that's know. the other thing I was going to bring up yeah. is that definitely um, there's this, yeah, this, this, and the kids are like liable to come to you for those kinds of things. Even ask you to the, ask you to go to the bathroom, right? Or right. even to like tattle this. You know, this person I'm working with, they're doing this, that, and I'm like, I'm not the teacher right now. Yeah. Um, and then thirdly, and this is all this. This could be me. Maybe it's not anybody else. But I have a hard time not rescuing. Yeah. Oh, it's the hardest and thing. Jumping in. Yeah. And I have, and I'm so sorry if you're a former student teacher of mine, if I've done this, I've done it too. And I think that undermines the student teacher. Totally. Because the student teacher needs to be the one in control and in charge. And if you were there and jumping in and going, oh, well, you know, students, um, Miss R said da 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 da, but you also need to keep in mind, like you can't. It it does take away their authority in the classroom. Totally. And so this is why I and I always think to myself when when I'm doing it, like oh they'll learn they'll they'll understand in the moment that this is how it should go. And it's not for me to do, and it's very hard. Yeah. To not jump in. Oh yeah. And so this is why if I am in the room. 
um, and I'm not observing to give pointers or tips or anything. If, if it's really time for them to be leading the class, I really try to ignore and like occupy myself with something else. Right. Because otherwise I'll jump in. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's funny. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm definitely in the room more than I'm not, but, um, and I'm listening and I'm watching, but I try to make it look like I'm not for both the student teacher and the student. That is sake. so hard to do. And I'll I'll be like, I'll have my computer. Well, taking the running notes on the Google Doc back to that kind of helps because if I have my laptop open and I'm typing, I'll I they don't know if I'm typing an email or if they if I'm doing so, you know, like it mm-hmm. could be anything. I could be planning, I could be emailing, I could be doing grading. I mean, the point being I'm not like staring at the class while they're working, but I might still have my ear open and I'm listening. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm, I'm listening and I'm knowing what's going on, but I'm not looking like I'm available to jump in. I know. That is a very hard thing It's a hard thing, thing to, to manage. Mm-hmm. And again, it depends on the student teacher because some will take charge in a way that the students are like, okay, cool, I'm going with you now. And like they feel very at ease and confident. If they're not as confident and like if they're always looking up at you, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Yes. And then and the this students is another will do the reason. same thing. Right. And I have had situations, not even just in student teaching, but when students have come from a a university program and they are um, observing, but then they teach like one lesson and they'll come over and they'll be like, how do I... Now, sometimes it's a logistical thing. Sure. Where are the rhythm stick? Where are the popsicle stick kits? We thought we got them out, but I didn't get them out. So that I get. But when they come over and they're like, what should I do? Because Jason is, you know, whatever, running around. Well, okay, that's extreme. I would take charge at that point. But, you know, um, there have been instances, I'm not coming up with good ones right this second, but where I, I have to say, you know what, this is you. It's, it's, yeah. it's you. It's time for you and, to take and that over. And that is hard because they, you know, may, may or may not make a good choice in the moment, but you have to let them, um, how do I say, feel the pain? Crash and burn. Crash and burn. I mean, I that sounds horrible, but there are times. I mean, I did it my student teaching. I had crashes and burns. Oh, it's my how God. I did it, like, last week. Right. I know. Exactly. So that's <laughs> how we grow. So also, during their time with you, just make sure you're involving them in those non-teaching things. So I think about, like, grading and keeping up your grade book and assessments and report cards if they happen to be there at a time where you're doing that. Like, make sure they see, you know, you don't have to make them do it, but mm-hmm. make sure they see the process. So they understand what they're getting in for exactly. and they can make a career change right now yeah. before it's too late. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the things that aren't as sexy, like <laughs> yes, grade books. exactly. Um, you know, things like professional developments and staff meetings, they should be attending those. Yes. They I should mean, be partially, there. again, like this is how we do it, but also, especially if it is a professional development that could be helpful to them and help them grow. Um, make sure you invite them to come and eat lunch with you in the teacher's lounge. And I say that because I'm not an eat lunch in the teacher's lounge person. I'm a sit in my room and eat my lunch while I check my email person. Oh, I know it's very Carrie, sad, Carrie, but Carrie. I am. I'm just saying you it for all the world to, to hear. get out of your room sometimes. I've been better about it this year. I think like with COVID, I remember like thinking, oh, I do appreciate the teacher's lounge now in a new way that I didn't before. But the point is, like, if you're like me and you're not very social (laughs) during lunch, you have to encourage your student teacher to be social with you, even if it's not your comfort level, because you want to make sure they feel like they're a welcome member of the staff community. Yes, definitely. You know, and I'm not saying force them. And then after a couple of weeks, they might find that, oh, my gosh, I have to prepare for my next class, so I'm going to shove this sandwich in my mouth while I'm getting the rhythm sticks out. Like, they might not want to eat in the teacher's lounge and that's okay but especially those first couple weeks you know make sure that they are you know you're introducing them to everybody walking them around the school make sure they feel like they are a part of that community yeah and if they can uh, go with you to some professional development even if it's on the weekend if you tell them way ahead of time and if they if they say no I, I can't do that of course respect that but it is just a great thing if you can bring them along Totally. To any kind of PD. Yeah. And maybe even see something where, okay, we went to this PD today. Oh, we saw this great game. And I want to incorporate it next week. Here's how I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not changing my lessons and my focus of what I'm doing next week. But here's how we're going to weave it into second grade. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and then just final thoughts on wrapping it up. So as their time is coming to a close, I give my student teacher a little parting gift. Do you, Tanya? I do, and I usually give them um, 
a book that they could use in their classroom. I love that. Yeah, something meaningful. Nice I've done something like where I've given them like a planter and I gave it to the art teacher like for the last week and um, all the students while they were in art class signed their name to it. So oh, they had something with all idea. the students' yeah. names. Sometimes I've given like a hand drum or something like that that they can use in their class. You could have the kids write in the hand drum. I thought about that and then I decided not to. They did a big card instead. But anyways, you know, something meaningful like that. Maybe a teacher's pay teacher's gift card or offer to pay their membership or workshop fees for a professional organization uh-huh. after they graduate. I yeah. mean, this is assuming that you you kind of know that you'll keep in touch with that person because <laughs> when they're a student, they usually get it for free. So there you go. Yeah. And then just be aware when you have your students again, it's going to take a little while to get back in the groove. I have found there's kind of almost this like the students kind of breathe again when it's you. Have you found this? Like in a, like most classes, they're just kind of like, they're sad when the student teacher leaves, mm-hmm. but there's kind of that feeling of like, oh, okay, mommy's back. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I left the babysitter, but mommy's home. Like, and But at the same time, you're going to be playing catch up. You just are, and you have to know that. that well, that's how we're doing it all the time. I know, anyway. and then you know, what else is new? But yeah. curriculum-wise, behaviorally, emotionally, you know, mm-hmm. just make sure. It's just a transition. Just be ready for that transition. Know it's going to take a few weeks to get back. And now it is time for our Know Better, Do Better segment, where we discuss some ideas that help us be a more inclusive, culturally responsive teacher. Yeah. What you got? So I I did some research because I'm kind of a nerd like that. And, um, you know, in a lot of these discussion groups and things I've been a part of, I've been hearing a lot about windows and mirrors. And I've used this phrase myself, the idea of we want to provide windows and mirrors for our students. So mirrors where they're seeing themselves reflected in the materials we're using and the practices we're doing that they feel that they are at home within your classroom, but then windows where we're showing students cultures and peoples who are different than them so they can experience what the rest of the world is like, right? Um, And I think about this so much in my situation being um, a teacher at a dual language school where I will teach the same lesson to my dual language class, which is um, of like basically 99% Hispanic Latino population, but then I'll teach the same lesson to my quote-unquote English-only class, as we call them, at my school, and how sometimes those experiences are different. So, for example, we've been doing Musician of the Day, highlighting um, musicians, Latinx musicians for Hispanic Heritage Month. Mm -hmm. And on Selena Day, I had two sixth-grade classes back-to-back. And the experience of talking about Selena as a musician with my dual-language classes, like, they knew Selena, very Mm -hmm. comfortable. Many of their parents grew up listening to Selena and when I would taught the same lesson in my English only class, I still have a lot of Hispanic Latinx students in my English only class um, who knew Selena, but then I had a lot of students who didn't know Selena. Mm-hmm. And one student in particular, oh, a white student of mine, after we finished listening, um, her, her response was, that was actually really great. <laughs> and at first the word actually kind of made me pause, like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? But really, if I dissect what she was saying, it was... That was a window into something I don't normally listen to, and I really liked it, was really what it was. So there was an example of a mirror window situation where me showing Selena to my students, many of them were seeing a mirror, and some of them were showing a window. Okay, so all that to say, when I was thinking about this, I was like, where... Who came up with this window and mirror thing? I want to know so I can give credit to where credit's due. So I found a few things that were interesting, and I'm going to put all this in the show notes so you can read as well. So um, the person credited with the idea of windows and mirrors is Emily Style. She wrote an article called Curriculum as Window and Mirror, which was first published in 1988, which makes me go, gosh, why have we not been doing this work much longer? Obviously, some people have been doing this work, and some people like me have just been slow to learn. So anyways, all that to say, I will link to the article because it's great. 
And then I have found another article which is taken even further. So this is by Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop. She wrote an article in 1990 called Windows, Mirrors, and Sliding Glass Doors. So she takes the idea of windows and mirrors, expands it to include sliding glass doors, which I think for music class I love. This idea of, okay, I'm showing you through a window something that's new. Now I'm going to open the sliding glass door and you're going to get to experience it too. So mm-hmm. to me that's very much like the theme of world music pedagogy right where now we're going to actively get involved in musicking in some music that's new to us Mm -hmm. and not in a way that's cultural appropriation in a way that's authentic and real as best as we can with culture bearers with good authentic materials so all that to say I will link to a couple of articles um, that talk about Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop and this idea and the article itself Um, so yeah there's where windows and mirrors and now this idea of sliding glass doors, that's where it all comes from. That's awesome. Can I put in a little thing? Yeah. Okay. Uh, just something that I've noticed being at two different schools, and you were talking about this is amazing, like having two back-to-back classes yeah. where you have such a different group of students, yeah. right? So I have noticed from one school to another school mm-hmm. during doing Musician of the Day that um, I have to be prepared to – um, explain more or explain less. So yep. uh, let's talk about Celia Cruz. I play Celia Cruz at one of my schools, and some kids are familiar, right? Yeah. And so, and all the kids were really engaged and like, oh, I like this. And, yeah. Right. So I go to the other school, and we play the video. They're, uh, it's hard to read. They're just taking it in. And then I read a bio, and they can't get over the word salsa. Yeah, you were talking as a genre. And so so here's the thing is that when you read or when I read these bios, I have to remember how much unpacking do I have to do with the vocabulary, mm-hmm. right? Because if the term salsa is going to stop us in our tracks. Because they were thinking because of it, they're like, thinking the of a chip and dip, you know, yeah. thing and that they it wasn't until the next class period that we could really get past that. Wow. In order to like, okay, now let's focus on the music. Right. Like, first of all, they don't understand like all these genres that are mentioned, that I'm mentioned, I'm throwing at them. And I don't think twice about it. Yeah. Because at the other school, they're like, oh yeah, salsa. Right. Oh yeah, like um, <laughs> Latin percussion. Right. And also, I've taught some of these kids a little bit longer. And, so they've already been exposed And they to some know, of these you know, some of these different instruments. And, yeah. Um, they know the difference between bongos and congas and those kinds of things. So you really have to think about the population in your room and how much unpacking you have to do with the vocabulary and maybe you parse it out differently or you parse it out little by little to get them there. And then all of this also reminds me of when students, not just students, anybody, is confronted with something that is very alien to them, they will laugh, they will make fun of, Mm -hmm. because they're deflecting that here is something I don't know, Mm -hmm. I don't get it, I'm maybe even frightened because it's just not in my realm. And so this is the reaction. So it's hard, but don't take that personally ever, ever, ever. Um, keep doing it keep Keep doing doing it it. you keep doing it until the different becomes what's expected yep different is normal this is what we experience oh my goodness isn't it great that there's all of these different musics for us to learn and embrace yeah yeah love it Now it's time for a work smarter, not harder teacher tip. And Tanya has a gem of inspiration for us today. Oh, (laughs) please. Okay. This is one of those things you probably have figured out. I think I say that all the time. (laughs) But um, in planning, it's very helpful to think of like things from grade level to grade level. I'm not talking about specific concepts, melodic, rhythmic, or even repertoire that you're teaching. But for example, it is very helpful if you're going to be using ORF instruments in fifth grade and then in fourth grade you're like well I was going to maybe use some ORF instruments later in the week but it's really very um it it cuts down on your time in between classes in setting up if you have like things going on like oh okay I think I'll now have 
the fourth graders add an accompaniment to this song since the ORF instruments will be out already and that saves me from having to shove them out of the way in order to get ready for this completely different thing fourth grade is doing. 100%. And if possible, if you really do need to get those ORF instruments out of the way, say, um, is it a situation where you can build that into your class time, depending on the age of the students, so that the kids can help with that activity? Right. right? So when I talk about uh, planning lessons with similar themes across grade classes, uh, another thing that I have found that I, works really well is that if it's going to be a stations-centered day for uh, one grade, it's probably going to be centers for three grades huh. in a row. Right. And that way I can just dart around the room and like, okay, well, here are my rhythm card tents uh, for fifth graders who were t ticking And now I'm going to snatch those up and put down the T-ta T for the fourth graders. Right. Um, and so I keep like stations. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, here's rhythm card tent station where they say and play the rhythm card tents. And now I switch them out. And here's fiddlesticks over here. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to switch out my fiddlesticks set. Oh, and here's a memory match thing over here. And now I'm going to switch that up. Oh, and you know. So yeah. I have found that that cuts down on my stress when I can plan for similar activities using similar materials from class to class. Um and that's a, a really helpful thing. Totally. Yeah, because I don't have 10 minutes in between classes. No. I barely have five barely minutes. Barely have five. And I know some of you don't have anything yeah. um, in between classes. And so do yourself a favor and uh, keep yeah. some same materials. Yep. Yay, lesson planning. Yay, lesson planning. It's our CODA section where we talk about something that we are enjoying in or out of the classroom. It's been mostly out of the classroom, but what do you got, Carrie? I'm going to actually recommend an in the classroom thing just because I haven't in so long. Okay. Um, so this is a very specific YouTube video that I will link to in our show notes that just absolutely cracks me up. I don't know why it delights me so much. So it's a, it's a YouTube video for the song. Um, I mean, it's under different names, but I know the song is El Reloj de la Calavera. So this is the song about the skeletons and at certain mm-hmm. times they tumba come out. Tumba, 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 tumba. Yeah, so the song I have from this source, and I'll link to this in the show notes too. So here's another coda. Um, El Patio de Mi Casa, 42 traditional rhymes, chants, and folk songs from Mexico collected, analyzed, and translated by Gabriela Montoya Steer. Um, anyways, it's a really great um, book for Spanish language songs um, from Mexico specifically. So anyways, this is a really great chant specifically for Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead. And there is this YouTube video, um, and it's it's under a slightly different title, just so it says um, La Calaveras, Salen de la Tumba, but it's the same chant. Um, and it's just this adorable animation of these skeletons dancing, and it's, you know, the whole chant is in Spanish, and everything's in Spanish, and um, did this with my dual language first graders yesterday and they loved it and they're like again 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 because they're like copying the dance that the skeletons do so anyways i'll link to in the show notes just know one little caveat the rhythm of the chant is slightly different so in my original source the tumba te tumba 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 is t ticka t t ticka ticka t t and i use it as a t ticka practice song Mm -hmm. with older students but in this particular video they say Chumbalaka, chumbalaka, chumbala. So ticka, 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 ti, ti, ta. So just know if you're using it with notation, it's slightly different. But in this case, I just did it with first graders just for fun, for mm-hmm. some Dia de los Muertos fun. Um, anyways, it's really hilarious, and I'll link to it in the show notes because awesome. it's just super cute. Very cool. All right, what you got, Tanya? Something totally different, I think. Yeah, something not classroom. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm reading a book that I want to recommend. Uh, it's called The Echo Wife by Sarah Gailey, and I'm going to read the description from Goodreads uh, because it's just good. Martine is a, gene- is a genetically cloned replica made from Evelyn Caldwell's award-winning research. She's patient and gentle and obedient. She's everything Evelyn swore she'd never be, and she's having an affair with Evelyn's husband. Now the cheating bastard is dead. <laughs> Ooh, Sorry. Are we going to get an explicit rating now? Tanya? Yeah, probably. And both Caldwell wives have to me- a mess to clean up. 
good thing Evelyn Caldwell is used to getting her hands dirty. Anyway, it's just been a fun romp, and it's... <laughs> you were telling me about this book last night, and I was like, nope, not for me. Are you kidding me? As, as something about cloning just freaks me out. No, this is why it's so fascinating, because Ugh. my husband and I had this really awesome conversation about cloning, about... Um, you know, how it's really like nature versus nurture and how, yeah, your clone, if it, even if you speed up the aging process and your clone is your same age, they won't have the same experiences that you have had. Their personality is going to be different. But in this book, it's interesting because um, it's written in first person and uh, she talks about how her husband, like, mapped her clone's DNA to be like docile and huh. obedient and it's it's interesting. Okay. Maybe well, I'll you give it a read. of the crime I know, but I don't know. Grossness? I have very strange tastes and cloning freaks me out, but okay. maybe maybe I'll give it a try. It's good fun. Is it kind of funny? Uh no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I can see it being kind of a interesting, I don't know, Stepford Wives kind of twist kind of a thing. No, like, that's creepy. Right. That's no, just different. Th- it's not funny, but okay. it's very, uh, it's entertaining. All right. I'll okay. take your word for it. Mm-hmm. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. And show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. Our next episode will be our 100th episode celebration, so be sure to listen in for that. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking.